0: Hello, I'm Leslie Betts, and this is the Opiongo Line. Joining me today is Mark Wormke. We're members of the Opiongo Readers' Theater, a group of three dozen vocal performers who are dedicated to works of world literature and local history. And boy, do we have some local history for you today. It's the story behind John Watson, that man from Rockingham, a village here in Renfrew County that Watson nurtured back in 1860 from next to nothing, and that remains today a true sanctuary of the rural picturesque, as much as Watson himself remains mysteriously exotic. For not a lot has been known with any certainty, until today, about that man from Rockingham especially where it concerns his origins and early life before emigrating to Canada. Though the history of his much-loved village is well-known, as is the story of how he became one of Renfrew County's earliest and best wardens, there are still many fanciful tales told of John Watson, especially about his early years back in England. Many believe he was born at Rockingham Castle, which still stands today about 150 kilometers north of London, England. Some say he was the son of a knight, or a baron, or an earl, maybe even a marquis. but everybody seems to agree that somewhere along the line, young John Watson had a falling out with his parents. As the story goes, sometime around 1858 or 1859, when he was still a very young man, Watson had done the unthinkable for any son of a British peer he had fallen head over heels for one of the castle chambermaids, a pretty young thing by the name of Mary Martin. And well, that sort of thing, John Watson's parents had to tell him in no uncertain terms, was simply not done in Victorian England, if ever. So Watson's embarrassed parents lovingly explained the facts of life to their determined if wayward young son and sent him packing to one of the British Empire's many far-flung colonies, Canada to be exact. It said it was a definite show of affection on their part. If they really hadn't had love for him, they would have sent him to Australia. So there was the final parting, Mother and father, heartbroken, waving their son goodbye. And there was young John Watson, barely 20 years of age, slowly trudging aboard ship. In one hand, the pretty young maid he refused to give up. In the other, a travel bag bursting with coin of the realm. His parents had apparently given him 10,000 pounds, or maybe even more, so he could get along better with whatever Canada had to offer. So the argument goes, how else could he afford to buy 200 acres of choice land in far-off Canada and build a farm village with countless tradesmen and farmers who had to be cajoled with pounds sterling to leave the castle and go to Canada, where mosquitoes were known to be the size of carrier pigeons and black flies as big as crows? Money, and lots of it, would be the only way, some have asserted, that Watson could have built that outstanding village of Rockingham with such an impressive gaggle of millers, weavers, blacksmiths, coopers, teamsters, saddle makers, and you name it, and all-seasoned farmers. Why, some will still tell you that young Watson bamboozled a young graduate of some new form of 19th century medicine to come out to Canada with him. Only this doctor was exclusively dedicated to animal husbandry, something Watson said was called veterinary medicine. How else but with £10,000 could John Watson do all this, and in the middle of a Canadian wilderness indeed? To hear some people talk, Watson almost sounds like his life turned out to be a reversal of Disney's beloved The Sword in the Stone. Instead of a stable boy pulling a magic sword out of a stone and becoming king... John Watson axed his first Ottawa Valley pine only to magically watch his life as a peer evaporate, leaving him no better off than a stable boy and a Rockingham stable boy at that. Yet, does anyone really know the truth of John S.J. Watson's origins? Apparently, one intrepid soul took the trouble to speak with the good folks who now run Rockingham Castle in merry old England. They said... They can find no trace of John Watson, that man from Rockingham, in their gold-plated family tree. Then again, that's not surprising, argued the cynics. Did you really expect a peer to claim some remittance man who ran off with a chambermaid? No, to them, John Watson remains Rockingham royalty. It doesn't matter what evidence there is to the contrary. No need to question his English origins. What cannot be called into question is John Watson's effect on Renfrew County. His little village of Rockingham became the envy of all who knew it back in the 19th century. And if truth be told, so too are all those who bear witness to its bucolic beauty today. It still has that picture-perfect church, St. Leonard's, built by Watson and named after a church near Rockingham Castle. Yet with its simple humility, the church in Renfrew County seems far more inspiring. Clad in old weathered boards, white pine cured in the relentless rain and snow of Rockingham. Its four walls are now an intoxicating mix of photogenic shades, the colour of rich caramel toffee set against a black frame, garlanded by evergreens all about. It's no wonder some call St. Leonard's a place for easy photography, aspiring poets, and old ghosts. Planned, progressive, and at one time, one of the most prosperous villages in all of early Renfrew County, John Watson's Rockingham remains above all else, a place where it is easy to remember those old rural English virtues of hard work and an abiding belief in that whatever happens, happens because of a merciful God, if only mankind had the brains to see it. Over the years, not only did Rockingham prosper, But so too did most who lived there, and none more so than John Watson himself. In fact, by the time the first truly Canadian census was taken in 1871, John Watson could identify his occupation not as a farmer and a miller as he did in 1861, but rather only ten years later as a gentleman. Of course, many who believe in that origin story of him growing up a young peer in Rockingham Castle didn't see his claim of being a gentleman much of a stretch. John Watson had been born a gentleman. He only needed a few years in the Canadian wilderness to reestablish his credentials as a someone who might know a king or two. All of that, of course, is what makes up history and, mindful of what Henry Ford once said of history, that it is more or less bunk, it might be time to get at the real story of who John Watson was before he came to Canada, if not where he actually came from. And contrary to the popular practice among some of our betters to offer up unsubstantiated bunk as God's own truth, let it be known that we are about to tell you the true, the whole truth and nothing but in a phrase, the true story of John Samuel James Watson's early years, based on documentary evidence that has only recently come to light, or what we like to call provable truth around here. No bunkum here. Scout's honour. Only the facts. Just the facts. We begin, of course, in one of those august institutions of higher learning, not only of England, but of the entire world. Namely, Cambridge University. For buried deep among the musty shelves of its dusty old archives, there sits an even dustier old book, containing among its yellow dog-eared pages a curious rendering of short potted biographies of most, if not all, Cambridge graduates throughout the ages. And there, among those hallowed leaves, can be found a page that has not likely seen the light of day in over 150 years. Written on that page are a few hundred words that can render much truth, if Cambridge can be trusted to tell the truth, of what John Watson's life looked like before arriving in Canada.
1: 1843 to 1864, Cambridge University Alumni Record. John Samuel James Watson was born on October 30th, 1824, the son of Thomas Samuel Watson, captain of artillery in the Honorable East India Company in Bangalore, Madras, India. His mother's name was Mary. He matriculated from Marlborough Grammar School in Wiltshire on September 29, 1843, having been admitted on June 27, 1843, as a pensioner to St. John's College, Cambridge University. In 1847, he received a Bachelor of Arts degree, and later that same year, on December 19, 1847, he was ordained a deacon. One year later, on Christmas Eve, 1848, John Samuel James Watson was ordained an Anglican priest, and entered into the service of the Church of England. He ministered from 1847 to 1850 in the parish of Amberley, Gloucestershire, where he was first appointed deacon and then an ordained minister. Cambridge has no record of Reverend Watson between 1850 and 1854, other than that it granted him a Master of Arts degree in 1851. From 1854 to 1857, Reverend Watson ministered at the church at Hale Magna in Lincolnshire. From 1858 onwards, Rev. John S. J. Watson remained in Crockford's clergy directory associated with the Lincolnshire Church until he disappeared completely from that directory's listings in 1864.
0: Now as much as we admire Cambridge's meticulous attention to detail, there are more than a few notable curiosities in their otherwise useful document. For instance, we can think of three obvious if not burning questions. Why was John Watson admitted to Cambridge as a pensioner? And where exactly was he from 1850 to 1854? And finally, and most pressing of all, how could he appear simultaneously in the 1861 Canada West Census for Renfrew County and Crockford's Clerical Directory, which had him working as an Anglican minister in England from 1858 to 1864? All shall be revealed— But first, let's clear one of the easier conundrums. A pensioner back in the 1840s at St. John's College, Cambridge, meant Mr. Watson had to pay his way. He was not one of those scholars or sizers, as they were called at the time, who attended Cambridge on a scholarship, or as the Americans like to say, on a full ride, where everything, books, tuition, residential dormitory fees, everything is paid for by someone other than the student or student's guardian. And worse, to be a pensioner at Cambridge in the 1840s was really to be low man on the totem pole. Between Watson, the pensioner, and a sizer was something called a fellow, or a student who had to pay some fees, but who could also qualify for scholarships a pensioner wasn't allowed to apply for scholarships. Indeed, the usual term for a pensioner, other than Cambridge, was a commoner, a term used at universities such as Oxford. But before we answer those other two burning questions, let's actually take a look at some other documentary evidence that corroborates some elements of Watson's Cambridge record. For instance, here is Watson's baptismal record.
1: 1824 baptismal record. On December 18th, 1824, John Samuel James Watson was baptized into the Church of England, having been born on October 30th, 1824, at Bangalore, Madras, India, the son of Thomas Samuel Watson and his wife Mary.
0: We also stumbled upon another baptismal record of interest from his immediate family, that of John Watson's older brother, Thomas.
1: 1821, baptismal record. On November 16, 1821, Thomas William Watson was baptized into the Church of England, having been born on October 15, 1821, in Madras, India, the son of Thomas Samuel Watson and his wife, Mary.
0: Sadly, in our search for similar documentary evidence in 19th century India, we also stumbled upon this military record.
1: 1830 Death Record on July 17th, 1830, Major Thomas S. Watson of the Artillery Corps died in Madras, East India, while stationed at Fort St. George on active duty.
0: So this is what we know so far with absolute certainty, according to our documentary evidence. John Watson was born in India, not England, in 1824. He had an older brother, Thomas William. His mother was named Mary... And his father, an artillery officer, had risen in the ranks from captain and died a major when his young son John was not quite six years old. We can also logically infer that John must have returned to England from India sometime after his father's death in 1830 to attend Marlborough Grammar School in Wiltshire, which is located about 240 kilometres southwest of Rockingham Castle. And whatever the finances of the Watson family were at the time, his guardian's estate could afford to send him first to the Marlborough Grammar School, which at the time was a partially free boarding school and then later to St. John's College, Cambridge, as a full-paying commoner. Interestingly, when Watson attended Cambridge, he was less than 80 kilometres from the castle. It would be intriguing to some if we offered an opinion as to where young John Watson went during his summer and other school holidays, but that would be little more than idle speculation. Rather, what of that Rockingham Castle in Northampton, just north of Cambridge? No need to speculate about its history. Here is what may be gleaned from its present owners, given that they wholeheartedly turned the castle into an international tourist destination and high society wedding venue that attracts thousands of Anglophiles annually, even throughout the COVID pandemic.
1: Rockingham Castle History Sometime around 1070, William the Conqueror ordered a castle to be built at Rockingham in the county of Northampton, about 100 miles north of London. Soon afterwards, medieval kings began visiting Rockingham Castle. Richard the Lionheart played host to his Scottish counterpart there, and his unpopular brother, King John, came frequently to hunt in Rockingham Forest. Indeed, on his last journey north from London, King John left behind a treasure chest in Rockingham's Great Hall, giving rise to the legend that his crown jewels are still buried there in 1544 henry VIII granted rockingham castle to edward watson who turned the by then dilapidated castle into a family home in the 1640s during the english civil war the castle saw much action originally a royalist stronghold it was taken by cromwell's roundheads and was then besieged by the king's troops And although its defenses held out against repeated assaults, the castle's owner, Lewis Watson, lost much of his wealth and never truly recovered from the trauma of the war. Rockingham's real heyday was as a Victorian mansion when it belonged to Richard and Lavinia Watson, who employed many servants to look after the castle and its inhabitants. The Watsons entertained in style, and among their guests was their great friend, Charles Dickens, who often performed in his own plays in the Long Gallery and drew inspiration from Rockingham, especially for his novel, Bleak House. Today, the castle remains the centre of an agricultural community and is home to James and Elizabeth Saunders Watson and their three children, direct descendants of Edward Watson. In terms of peerage, the Watson family has been less lucky. Throughout its history, members of the Watson clan have been knights, barons, earls, once there was even a marquis of Rockingham. Sadly, the second marquis of Rockingham, after having twice been Prime Minister of Great Britain, died on July 1st, 1782, without an heir. As a result, all peerage dignities of the Watson line became extinct.
0: Not too shabby. But did our man, John Samuel James Watson, ever darken the castle's doorway, if not the drawbridge? We found no documentary evidence to say that he did. Then again, we found no documentary evidence to say that he did not. But let's go back to that second burning question we mentioned a while back. Where exactly was the Reverend John S.J. Watson during those four missing years from 1850 to 1854? when not even the sleuthsome brainiacs at the Cambridge Alumni Office seem to know his whereabouts. For that, we will need to turn to another curious document from 1850 that may come as a shock to many, but not to the ghosts of the two people involved.
1: 1850 British Marriage Record on March 30, 1850, John Samuel James Watson, aged 25, married Sarah Jane Milner, age 17, at St. Cuthbert in the city of Carlisle in the county of Cumberland, England.
0: Now, the really interesting thing is that Carlisle is 400 kilometres north of the parish of Amberley, where Reverend Watson was possibly still ministering to his flock, according to the Cambridge folks. Perhaps he had just gone up to Carlisle for his wedding. Let's see where the happy young couple turn up exactly one year after their wedding date when the British census was next taken.
1: 1851 British Census On March 30th, 1851, John Samuel James Watson declares he was 26 years old, had been born in Bangalore, Madras, India, and lives in Botchergate in the parish of Wetherall in the city of Carlisle, and works as a curate at the parish of Amberley, Gloucester. Living with him is his wife, Sarah Jane Watson, age 18, who was born in Amberley, Gloucester. Also living under the same roof is their 16-year-old servant girl, Elizabeth Deschamps.
0: That sounds all very innocent, except the part about living in Carlisle, but working as a curate in the parish of Amberley, 400 kilometres away. That must have been some morning commute to get there on time for the early service. Perhaps there's simply been some mix-up or other explanation we may find later that will solve this mystery. Until then, let's look a bit more closely into the background of his young wife, Sarah Jane Milliner. Strangely enough, turns out she has not one, but two baptismal records. The first one reads...
1: 1833 Baptismal Record on August 11, 1833, Sarah Jane Milner was baptized at Rodborough, Gloucestershire, at the Tabernacle, a Calvinistic Methodist church. She was born on the 22nd of February, 1833, at Minchinhampton, Gloucestershire, the daughter of Sarah Keane and Isaac Milner, a bailiff who lived at Thescombe Cottage in Minchinhampton in the parish of Amberley.
0: Well, that raises more questions than it answers. Sarah Jane comes from Amberley, the parish where her future husband was assigned as a deacon in 1847, and where, apparently, he still claims to work as an Anglican priest in the March 1851 census, even though Cambridge said that his whereabouts were unknown for four years beginning in 1850. Perhaps Amberley was where the young lovers met. But then again, there's the troubling issue of her parents being nonconformists. So, how would that work if an Anglican minister married a Calvinistic Methodist? Perhaps not very well, given the sometimes intolerant 19th century. Still, let's push on to Sarah Jane Milner's second baptism.
1: 1849 Baptismal Record On July 4th, 1849, Sarah Jane Milner, age 16, was baptized in the Church of the Holy Trinity in Minchinhampton in the parish of Amberley in the county of Gloucester. She is the daughter of Isaac and Sarah Milner of Thescombe Cottage. The Church of England minister who performed the baptism and signed the handwritten church registry is the Reverend John Samuel James Watson.
0: Ah, it's all starting to make sense. Somewhere along the line, Sarah Jane's parents decided they didn't want their family to be nonconformists any longer. So they went to the nearby Church of the Holy Trinity... And who should be the young Anglican priest in charge there but Reverend John S.J. Watson? The plot thickens. Wait a minute. If they only met at her baptism at the beginning of July 1849, when she was a mere 16 years of age and he was 25 or nine years her senior, that must have been a pretty unusual courtship, given they were officially barely married nine months later at the end of March 1850. It all might make sense if we could find more documentary evidence on those missing years during the 1850s. But then again, by 1861, Reverend Watson ends up in the Rockingham, Canada West Census. Back then, it was still a British colony, and so the census was carried out in a manner similar to the mother country. It reads,
1: 1861 British Colonial Census for Canada West. In 1861, John S. J. Watson, a farmer and miller, said he was 37 years old and had been born in India. He was now living in Canada West, in the municipality of Brudenell, Lindock, Raglan, and Radcliffe, in a two-story log home built in 1860. His spouse at that time was listed as 25-year-old Mary Martin Watson. They had two children, Mary, age two, and Anne, age one. Also living with them were Sarah Martin, age 15, and Thomas Martin, age 17, younger siblings of Mary Martin Watson. There's a seventh member of this household, a 22-year-old teamster named Samuel Harriet. All but the two youngest children were born in England, and all were listed as members of the Church of England. Given that the two Watson children had been born in Upper Canada, John Watson and his wife, Mary, must have both arrived in Canada by the end of 1859, if not before.
0: Now that's one complicated mess. What happened to Sarah Jane? And why doesn't John Watson tell the 1861 census taker that he's an ordained Anglican minister? Maybe the 1871 Canadian census can help. It says...
1: 1871 Canadian Census. In 1871, John Samuel James Watson was noted as the head of the household, but simply as John Watson, age 45, his wife Mary was 34. The only noticeable changes from the previous census were the facts that his occupation had changed to that of gentlemen, and the couple now had five children. Annie is listed as the oldest, age 12, Mary is 10, Margaret is 8, John is 6, Thomas is 4, and George is 2. The household also includes Philip Acton, age 18, who was born in England and listed as a labourer. All belong to the Church of England.
0: Nothing unusual there, except perhaps the switch in their daughter Mary's age, but even that could be easily explained as a census taker error, which does happen in both 1861 and 1871. No, as with his first marriage, perhaps the best thing to do is to follow wherever the documentary evidence trail leads us, and that means following up on John Watson's second wife, Mary Martin. Here's her one and only baptism record.
1: 1834 baptismal record. On August 4th, 1834, Mary Martin was baptized in Alston, Cumberland at the Low Chapel for Nonconformists. She was born on March 13th. Her parents were Thomas Martin and Alston Weaver and his wife, Mary Humble.
0: Now, if that doesn't beat all, John Watson certainly had a thing for nonconformists, if not free thinkers. But before we jump to any hasty generalizations, let's take a closer look at Mary Martin's family. Her British census data might tell us about the rest of her family.
1: 1851 British census. On March 30th, 1851, Mary Martin was the oldest daughter unmarried at age 17. She was living at home with her parents in the parish of Allendale and West Allen High in the county of Northumberland. Her father Thomas was a 44 year old weaver born in Carlisle Her mother was also 44 and born in Northumberland. Her younger siblings were Tamar, 14, who was working as a wool sorter, William, 10, who was in school. They were both born in Carlisle. Also there were three others listed in the household, Thomas, 7, Sarah, 4, and John, 2, all born in Alston, Northumberland.
0: That's interesting. Thomas Martin was born in Carlisle and based on the birth locations of his children, it appears he moved his family back and forth between his wife's people in Northumberland and his people in Carlisle. So if John Watson did not meet his second wife in Canada prior to 1859, he most certainly could have met her in Carlisle, a place he knew well when he lived there for over a year, if not longer, starting in March 1850 when he was married there. Still, If Mary Martin married John Watson around 1859, what happened to his first wife, Sarah Jane Milliner? Perhaps she died in childbirth sometime before 1859. Possibly the couple got divorced and they both moved on. Perhaps something else happened. We found no marriage license for Mary Martin and John S.J. Watson. The only thing we found out for certain turns out to be both shocking and tragic at the same time. Here's another one of those heartbreaking documents that tells us everything we really don't want to know.
1: 1902 Probated Will Record Sarah Jane Watson of 31 Beacon Hill West, Holloway, Middlesex, wife of John Samuel James Watson, died January 29, 1902. Her will, which was probated in London on May 20th, left her estate to Hannah Keane Whitby. It consisted of effects, 185 pounds, 11 shillings, and 11 pence.
0: So, Sarah Jane Milliner went to her grave one month shy of her 69th birthday, still believing she was the wife of John Samuel James Watson. You only have to read a few British probate records from those times to understand that she did not believe she was a widow at the time of her death, nor was she divorced. Sadly, she was no longer waiting for Reverend John Watson to come home. Only John Samuel James Watson... She must have known he had given up the religious collar of an Anglican priest, if only by checking Crockford's clerical directory. Still, she probably went to her grave waiting for the day he might walk through her door. But it can now safely be assumed that John S.J. Watson disappeared from Sarah Jane Milliner's life sometime between 1850 and 1858. Yet, if Watson had disappeared by conveniently emigrating to Canada— Presumably around 1858, Sarah Jane Milliner still kept her door open to him for at least another 44 years. Indeed, he may have disappeared much earlier, possibly in 1854 when he suddenly reappears again as an Anglican priest in Lincolnshire at Hale Magna, some 325 kilometers south of Carlisle. What really happened between 1850 and 1858 to that man from Rockingham? What is known with absolute certainty now is that Reverend John Samuel James Watson first fell in love with a 16-year-old girl whom he baptized and then married and then they did not live happily ever after. That's the end of this tragedy. But only for today. John S.J. Watson, that man from Rockingham, is simply too complicated and too interesting a man to let go of, after only finding 14 documentary records, including those on the dusty shelves of Cambridge University, those yellowed pages from church registries, and those dog-eared sheets from the British Colonial Census Office. John Watson's story is not over by a long shot nor are we prepared to offer up some simple platitudes or moral judgments on our fellow humans. Certainly, it doesn't look good for Mr. Watson as we leave him today, but never underestimate the power of a new bit of documentary evidence to make those old certainties of received wisdom evaporate like a warm wind that sometimes blows down from St. Leonard's and onto John Watson Street in downtown Rockingham, What we sometimes think we know for certain can often leave us wondering if we really knew anything at all. Just one final tidbit before we go. Though our research has not come to an end, we've already noticed that many of the Rockingham tradesmen were somehow connected to the large Martin clan who accompanied John Watson to Rockingham, so much so that it seems quite possible that the real source of all those wonderful craftsmen who first made up the village of Rockingham may have come from Carlisle and the Martins' extended network of weavers and allied tradesmen. Ironically, Rockingham's initial success may have depended less on John Watson alone. Rather, it may be wise to start shifting the reason for at least some of its success to Mary Martin and her extended family with its Carlisle connections. Put another way, it wouldn't be surprising at all to us to find that behind the success of that man from Rockingham was that woman from Rockingham, Mary Martin. Whatever the case, the Martin clan certainly seized the day when John Watson afforded them a share of his vision for Canada. It may have started as a simple proposal of marriage for Mary, but it literally blossomed into a whole new world. Still, how Watson funded his Rockingham project remains a mystery, but it deserves to be solved. For contrary to Henry Ford's dictum, we know history, at least in the upper Madawaska Valley has never been bunk. And our local history is far from ever a settled matter. I'm Leslie Betts, and for Mark Wormkey and our producer, researcher, and writer, Barry Conway, we wish you a good day and God bless.